Good afternoon. Welcome to week seven of Kirsten's Adventures in Research Methods. This week's episode is called Name Your Poison. I call it that because 77% of the population suffer from glossophobia or the fear of public speaking, and approximately one in five suffer from arithmophobia or math anxiety. I'm one of those one in five. So the idea of doing a presentation is much less daunting to me than trying to make sense of complicated formulas. So for that reason, I'm going to flip the order of the questions this week um, on this week's podcast and address the second one first, the one that has to do with making a presentation. This week, we were asked to determine the organizational framework we'd use to present the results of a Toyota PR campaign aimed at safety. The book specifically references the Toyota study and indicates a cause-effect-solution framework is best, and certainly there are many reasons this makes sense. However, I also found that research brief or problem-solution might work depending on your audience. I thought first about my audience and the desired effect and worked backwards to come up with the idea that any of these three would work. So let's say that I've been asked to deliver an oral presentation sharing the results of an ad campaign to Toyota folks. The first thing I'm going to want to know is who's going to be in the room, their marketing department, the C-suite folks, board of directors, union reps. I'm going to do an audience analysis first because I'm going to frame much of my content around my audience. So let's assume I'm presenting to a small to medium-sized group of 50 executives who are involved in strategy and marketing and PR. This is going to be a management report. And let's assume they have some basic understanding of the research question, why we even did this study. So following a brief introduction, I'll share some of the study background as well as a bit about myself to establish my credibility. And then I'll talk about why this information should matter to them. I'll cover a brief bit about methodology and then a lot of time on findings, insights, and recommendations. They can get the info like the measurement instruments, raw data, etc., in the appendices of the written part, which will be distributed later. The written version is much more detailed and contains multiple appendices with, like I said, the raw data as well as graphs. Um, this written report will be made available to anyone in the organization who has the time and the desire to wade through it. But for the oral presentation, I will have a few supportive displays. So I'll have a PowerPoint, but my slide deck will be small and not too text heavy because I really want them to listen to me and not be looking at the screen. I will, however, have some video clips of maybe some of the ad spots that were used in the campaign um, because that can kind of set the tone and establish context. And it also keeps people interested when you're about to start talking about data. As I move through all of this, I will have to bear in mind that any research predispositions, um, did the majority of the audience support the research, recognize there was a problem, genuinely want a solution or recommendation, um, all of those need to be kept in mind. And I'll have to think of the recommendation effects. If the insights lead to recommendations that will cost a lot of money, will I get pushback? So these are all things to keep in mind, um, but if I open and close with some impactful statistics about safety, then I can capitalize on primacy and recency effects, and hopefully whoever commissioned the study will see more buy-in as a result. 
The other question for this week related to skyscrapers going up and the economy crashing down. I found this phenomenon very interesting and something I might like to read more about in the future, but for now we're going to focus on correlational findings. Like I mentioned earlier, some of the text in this week's chapter was overshadowed by the formulas, at least for me. So I went to the internet to read a little more about correlational research, and I found a definition that included the fact that they are observations that do not involve controlled variables and frequently aren't measurable. And that was from verywellmind.com slash correlational research. Um, naturalistic correlations, like the one in this week's question, are correlations that are simply observable. In this case, if I'm understanding correctly, there seems to be a modest inverse relationship. As building size increases, the value of the dollar decreases. I say it's a modest correlation because it's hard to know if A definitely means B. And the examples given in the study do seem rather few and anecdotal. So it's hard to know for sure what the other variables are or what other variables were present. If I were a researcher, I would want to look at more examples of skyscrapers being built. I'd want to examine like huge architectural undertakings, not just in modern history, but from the last couple thousand years. Like what was the state of the economy following the building of the Great Pyramids? What was the value of the shat? And in case you're wondering, shat, according to Google, was the form of currency in ancient Egypt. So um, <clears throat> I do understand what Barclay's analysis said about the building being a misallocation of capital, but there could be other things running in the background, like perhaps the building of the skyscrapers and economic collapse were tied to social issues or changes. Perhaps the giant buildings instilled subconsciously in the minds and families of households that um, the idea that more spending is better, that bigger is better, and a larger number of households began to spend beyond their means, not necessarily tied to banking or the stock market, but simply to people not being able to control their own spending in the face of corporate spending. Perhaps it was somehow tied to advances in technology. Um, as we move from the first industrial revolution to the next, there was landmark building taking place as our building methods became more sophisticated, but those revolutions also impacted the types of jobs that were available. So there's a whole lot to take into consideration here, and it is very exciting as a research student to think about all the correlations one can examine with the right kind of training and education. For someone like myself with a psychology undergrad, <clears throat> I love this kind of if-then thinking and often find myself making or contemplating correlations. So I've really enjoyed learning more about how to do it properly. So that wraps up this series. It's been an adventure learning a little about podcasting and a lot about research methods. So have a great week and thank you for listening. Sources for this week were verywellmind.com, Correlation Research, and Scheidler Pamela, Research Methods, McGraw-Hill Publishing, 2019.